Welcome to another exciting weekend message from Encounter Church. For more information, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. All right, verse 1 of chapter 2 says this. Then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas, and Titus came along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. All right, so before we kind of get into the meat of this message today, uh, we had a question that was submitted via email, and I would encourage you to do that. You may have heard last week or a couple weeks ago, I said all throughout this summer, as we're working our way through these letters, I encourage you to read ahead, read them throughout your daily life, you know, just read them. And if any questions pop up, send me an email, as one of our, our church members did, and sent this email asking a question, and it says, what did Paul do during those 14 years? I mean, so we were, in the very beginning, the first verse, the first chapter, we hear Paul talking about what he was doing. He had this revelation from God. And then it said that three years later, he went back to Jerusalem. And then it goes, then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again. Well, what happened in those 14 years? What could he possibly have been doing that, that would lead him to say 14 years later? Well, we have a couple images here on the screen. The first one here is Paul uh, kind of talking about, in Galatians chapter 1, we heard about Paul having this revelation from God, right? And we can see up on the top left of the screen that it said that he immediately went into the desert. He said, as soon as he had this revelation of Jesus, he didn't go anywhere. He didn't consult anyone. He went out to the desert and began preaching to the people, tribes that were out there in the desert. We can see that up there, kind of Damascus and the desert. He's just sort of going in circles out there from town to town, just kind of tribal areas for three years. And then it said three years later, then he went to Jerusalem and was introduced to the apostles for the first time. But then it says for the next 14 years, Paul was on the first of four missionary journeys. Now we pick up in Galatians chapter 2 where he says 14 years later. Now some of you might be wondering, how do we know it was these missionary journeys? Well, the first missionary journey that he took, you can find in the book of Acts chapter 13 and 14. If you want to know what the lost 14 years are, just turn to Acts 13 and 14. We have the next slide. Now the next slide actually shows you where he went during this time. He went to a town called Cyprus. You can see her. The, 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 so he started here in Antioch in Syria, went across to the island of Cyprus, went to these places here, then went up across and went to Antioch and Pisidia. He went to Iconium, Lystra, Derby. All of these places are modern day Turkey. So you can kind of see this map on the bottom left here. We have Italy over here. We have Spain over here. All of this took place in this area right here, which is now modern day Turkey. And while he was there, he was church planting. That's what he was doing. He was going from place to place to place, preaching to people who'd never heard of Jesus, ever. They were people who were not Jewish. These are people who were from different religions. And he would walk into the town and he would teach them about the name of Jesus and that this man died on the cross for our sins. And because of his power, if he was divine, he was God, he rose from the grave and he was doing miracles. He was praying for people to, who were sick and they were being healed and people who were, who were lame and crippled, they were being raised up and their bones were being mended. And incredible miracles were happening. And he was saying, and these signs prove that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. And he would go from town to town and churches would pop up because these people were like, I've never heard this message. And so he would go from town to town to town and spend time there and build up believers. And then he would leave and go to another town and do the same thing. And the Bible tells us that in the chapter Acts 13 and 14, that this took time. 
Actually, at the end of, of, of chapter 14, the Bible actually says he stayed there a long time. So he made this circle. He started in Antioch over here in Syria, made his way all the way around. You see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, made his way back and then back to Antioch. And then it said he stayed there for a long time. Now, we don't know how much of the 14 years he was in particularly each town. What we do know is that when he got back to Antioch in Syria, the Bible says he stayed there a long time. Now, during that 14-year period of preaching the message to a new people group back in predominantly Jewish towns where he came from, right? So this is where Israel is right over here, okay? So he was up in Antioch, and then he would, what was happening is all of this area is where Jesus lived back in the Israel area. During this time, while he was out here for 14 years, in predominantly Jewish places that had began to know who Jesus was, there was a growing dispute that began happening And they were saying that the ways of the Jewish law, the old ways, were what was required for salvation, and that was beginning to spread up into the other areas. So we've talked about this last couple weeks. What was happening is these people up in the Turkey area and the Syria area, people who are not Jewish, had been told about Jesus, and all they had to do was believe in Jesus and have faith in what he can do in their life and for them to be saved. And what was happening was there was sort of this virus that was coming up from out of Jerusalem and infecting the, the towns of all the other areas, telling them that they needed to follow the old Jewish customs in addition to faith. So after 14 years of spreading the gospel to new areas, Paul decides to travel down to Jerusalem to discuss this division that's taking place within the church and the customs being a requirement for salvation through Jesus. And this is where we pick up in verse 2 of chapter 2. Now, there's going to be a whole bunch of scripture, but it's a narrative and it's really easy to follow. So let's follow along. While I was there in Jerusalem, 14 years later, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message that I had been preaching to the Gentiles. Remember, we call the Gentiles, these are people who are not Jewish. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts, now 17 years of ministry, had not been wasted and I wasn't running the race for nothing. And they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised. Circumcision was one of those Jewish customs that was required of Jewish people. But for anyone who wasn't Jewish, Paul was not saying they had to do that. But a lot of Jewish people were requiring it, saying to be saved, you have to follow Jewish laws. And that was the discussion, okay? He said that they didn't even demand it, even though he was a Gentile. Verse 4, even that question only came up because of some so-called believers there. I love this. False believers, really who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations. You ever been to a church, maybe a kind of an ultra-conservative church that seemed to have a whole bunch of rules that didn't seem to make sense? It was like, where is that found in the Bible? Why am I supposed to? That's kind of the idea that we're talking about here. It's like, this is not, we're not just talking about faith in Jesus. We're saying you have to do this, this, and this that's not found in Scripture. It says, but verse 5 says, but we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. Verse 6, and the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favorites. I'm glad for that, to be honest with you. I am glad, because there are a lot of people out there who are a lot better than me, a lot of things, but God doesn't show favorites. He loves me and you just the same. 
Praise God. Verse 7. Instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the same responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God, I love this, for the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars of the church at that time, recognized the gift that God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I have always been eager to do. So what we see in that kind of large chunk of, of Scripture right there is God working what we call unity inside of his church. He, he actually allowed, for 14 years, he allowed there to be two different opinions taking place within, the, within his church. In this area, on the map that we had, where down in the Israel area, the Jerusalem area, there was a very large sentiment in the traditional ways, which was that during this time, in order to be saved, if you're Jewish, you still have to follow the Jewish customs. But all these people in the northern areas, in the Turkey and the Syria areas that we know as now, where Paul was preaching, these people were not Jewish. And God was allowing both opinions to exist at the same time. And so what was happening is is that after 14 years, even after 17 years, it said three years in the beginning, and then 14 years later, God allowed the message of salvation through Jesus Christ to spread to the church to become established before bringing together a council that would actually determine the doctrine that would affect everybody. And in the end, the result was an affirmation to the entire church world that faith in Jesus alone is the way to salvation. Now, even today, we see differences and disagreements between denominations, right? Some of you grew up Catholic. Some of you may be Presbyterian, others Episcopal. Some of you are, come from maybe an Assemblies of God or a Pentecostal background. Maybe some of you are Baptist backgrounds or whatever, right? And each of these denominations have various um, nuances or different interpretations of different passages in the Bible that, that make their particular fellowship unique, right? If you are Baptist, you maybe don't quite believe in the evidence of, of the, the gifts of the Spirit working in, in modern day. And if you're Pentecostal, you tend to believe that God still operates in the, in the spiritual realm today. Um, there are some people who believe in what's called predestination and others believe in free will. And you know what the thing is, is that those things have divided the church. But one thing that unites all of us is our belief in the salvation that is provided through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And so even during the 17 year period that we see where God had allowed Paul to be preaching a message of faith alone. And during the other time, they were saying, no, you had to be in another area that you had to be circumcised in order to be a Christian in addition to faith. The bottom line was, is that both of them believed that the only thing that truly mattered was that salvation was available through belief in Jesus Christ. And I think that's a message that we can learn today is that there may be disagreements on various topics across our America, even across the world, on various interpretations of the Bible. But what unites us as the body of Christ, or I should say, what should unite us as the body of Christ? And when I say the body of Christ, that is not just Encounter Church. That's not just Encounter Church and Mars Hill Church up the road. That's not just Encounter Church, Mars Hill and Door of Hope Church. What I'm saying is the body of Christ is anyone who professes to believe in the name and the salvation and the power of Jesus Christ. That is who the body of Christ is. And even though you and I may have disagreements on what God's word says on different topics, the thing that should unite the church of Jesus Christ 
is that we believe in that the way to heaven, the way through salvation and restoration back to God is through Jesus and his death and his resurrection on the cross. That focus is what cut through and what was the most important thing and what should unite us in disagreements. That same focus is what united the church in Jerusalem and with the Gentiles and those churches. That united them. And that same focus should bring unity to our church. So maybe you know people who don't go to Encounter Church and maybe they have different opinions and they kind of feel like, like I shouldn't be friends with those people or I can't associate with, the, with that church. There are people in this community who think that our church is a cult. It's strange because they just don't know because they think that anything that's not Catholic could be considered a cult. And it's true. And I'm not putting words in people's mouth. There are people I have met in this community that are like, I'm not sure about that encounter. Like, I don't know. I think you're a nice guy and you guys do great events, but, but I don't know anything about your church I'm, because all they know is their Catholic framework. And, and we just, I say, you know what? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? And they say, yes. I said, well, then there you go. Then we're on the same page. We're in the same family. And that is what should unite us. Okay, so here we go. But the council agreement didn't change everybody's mind. So it didn't have to change everybody's mind. And there were still some false teachings happening. And it takes time for people to, to move from old habits. So let's pick up in verse 11. So even after the decree had gone out where they said no, the only thing that matters is faith alone in Jesus Christ, that his salvation is what, is what allows us to have connection with our creator this is what happened then, verse 11. But when Peter, one of the apostles, who was the, who was the Jewish man who was preaching to the Jews, when he came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers. So he had fun with them. He hung out with them. This was against Jewish custom, okay? So, so this Jewish man heard what the council had said, that, that Gentiles and Jews, if they're believers, they're the same through Jesus Christ, and they were not circumcised, so they didn't have to follow those rules. But afterward, when some friends of James came along, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. And as a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. And when I saw that they were not following, get this, the truth of the gospel message. So it had been affirmed even by the council in Jerusalem, that the only thing that matters is faith in Jesus Christ. That was what he's saying is the true method, message of the gospel. He said, I said to Peter in front of all the others, so since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the entire Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, hanging out here with people who you're not supposed to hang out with, according to the Jewish law, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow Jewish traditions? You and I, Paul and Peter, are both Jews by birth, not sinners like these Gentiles. Yet we know, and I love this, that a person is made right by faith in God, in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Now, what we're talking about here simply is hypocrisy versus boldness. And guys, this is a battle that every one of us face. We all face this concept of hypocrisy versus boldness. I mean, it is easier for us to revert to our old ways of life, our old habits that we've grown up with, than to stand up for what we believe in, right? 
It is a lot easier for, for to come to church and hear something go, wow, that dramatically affected me on the inside, but then to leave here, go to work, go home, hang out with your friends, go into happy hour, whatever it is, and then, and then not applying that and reverting back to our old ways. And Peter knew what was right. He was aware of how he was supposed to act, and in the moment, he crumbled under pressure. Now, Paul called that hypocrisy. He said, how could you do that? How can you hear and affirm this is what is right, that faith in Jesus is the only thing that matters? And when you get here, you're hanging out with all these guys, you're having food, and you're, you're associating with people that at one time you believed was wrong because that's what the Jewish laws taught. But through faith in Jesus, there's no division anymore, right? But then you get here and you do that, but then all your old friends show up. And now you're suddenly ashamed of the new way of living that you've been freed from. Paul calls that hypocrisy. I want to ask you this question is what areas of your life or of my life do we crumble under pressure? What areas of your life, of my life, do we crumble under the pressure when we're with our friends or at work or, or with people that maybe believe differently than we do? On the flip side of that, Paul's boldness and confidence in the raw message of Jesus Christ fueled him not just to, to preach the message, but also to confront Paul, Peter to his face. Like he called him out, doing a wrongdoing by another believer. That, that, that boldness and the confidence in the message, he believed without a doubt that the message of Jesus is about faith, not about works. So I would ask you this question is, are we, as followers of Christ, willing to be bold for our beliefs? Are we... How much of what we believe from our revelation that we receive from the Bible? I mean, so Paul's revelation came directly from Christ. We heard that last week. Most of our revelation comes from reading God's word and from the Holy Spirit speaking to us. How much of what we believe is lived out publicly? I mean, I don't want to be a hypocrite, right? I don't want to be a person who comes to church and says that I believe in Jesus, that I believe in the freedom that he's given me. And then when we were around our friends, we'd refuse to talk about her. Or if someone asked us what we did this weekend, we omit that we went to church. Or, you know, like there's a certain level of that to us. I believe that the message of Jesus Christ is the best news that anyone can receive. And I feel compelled to share it. And if I don't, or if I won't, doesn't that make me a hypocrite? I mean, personally, does that make me someone who, if I say one thing in one place but act differently in another, isn't that what Paul was calling Peter out for? So we pick up in verse 17. He says, but suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, but then we're found guilty because we've abandoned the law. Would that mean that Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. I was trying to figure out, like, what does that mean? And came up with this. In other words, if I abandoned the law because I believed the gospel was for Gentiles too and not just for the Jews, but then I hid it in fear of what people might think. So if I believe one thing, but then I hid it, doesn't that now make me guilty of hypocrisy? That's what Paul was saying. It's like, if you believe in faith alone in Jesus Christ, but then hide that to other people and start acting differently, contrary to that, that makes us guilty. But what about in our present day lives, in our personal circumstances? If I believe in the salvation message of Jesus, and that I am a new creation in Christ, but I'm afraid to live that way with my family or with my friends, 
doesn't that distort the faith that saved me in the first place? I mean, that's the question, and this is hard. This is a hard-hitting message because this is what Paul is saying. And here's the point of what he says. He's trying to make to the Galatians, and I believe he's trying to make that same message to us. God is speaking to us, that same authority that came, went to the, to, the, to the Galatians is speaking to us through God's word. Verse 19, this is the point. For when I tried to keep the law, the rules, the regulations, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives inside of me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 21 says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die at all. In other words, when I tried to live by the rules of this world, or even by my own rules, when I tried to make up things as I went along, as I tried to do things based on what I thought was right, or what, as, as my culture shaped me, and, and I believed things that they taught me, or that the news channels, or Facebook, or my friends of groups, and group of friends, and all of those things that I began to acquire, when I began to live by those standards, instead of God's teaching, I failed. And I resulted in nothing but trouble and dissatisfaction. How many of you understand or know what I'm talking about here? Before you met Jesus, you know this life. The reason you know Jesus and you gave your life to him was because he's rescued you from a lifestyle that no matter how good you were, no matter how hard you worked, it was not working. You were dissatisfied. You were full of a lack of purpose and you, you, you got yourself into trouble and the mess you made, you can look at behind you and see the wake of destruction you left behind you. And when I stopped living for myself or to please others or any other rules that add to the gospel message, I found peace as I began to live for God alone. My old ways have been willingly put to death on the cross and now I am alive in Christ because he lives inside of me. This is just a paraphrase of that passage we just read. Now my life should be about trusting in Jesus who loved me and who gave himself for me. And despite what others might think, not because it feels good, but because I know what he saved me from. The point is that the grace that God gives us in the forgiveness of our sins is enough to save us. God's grace is enough to save us. We don't need extra rules or extra work on top of it. God's grace, his forgiveness of sins by his death on the cross is what gives us freedom. And nothing else, nothing else can, because if anything else could make us right, then there was no need at all for Jesus to die. I mean, think about that for a second. If there was anything that you or I could have done to earn our salvation, then what was the point of God sending his son Jesus to the cross? There was none. Such a drastic measure was required because there was no hope. Shouldn't that give us reason to tell the world? I mean, isn't that why what drove Paul to nations he'd never been to or people he'd never met? Shouldn't that fuel us with boldness that, that remember what you were saved from? Remember what your life used to be like. Some of you have, have, have heard me preach before and you've even heard me tear up or crack in my, my voice because I was in the moment I was t telling you about what God had saved me from in my life when I was a teenager and growing up. And 
the pain, you know, and remembering. And some of you can remember where you were when Jesus found you. Remember what it was like before you met him. And it's been a journey for all of us. So it's not like day one you meet Jesus and everything is, is fixed. But, but I remember who I used to be. That focus on, on Jesus, that focus on I want to live my life for him. That's no longer my old ways. I put to death my old ways. That focus that nothing else but faith in Jesus saves us. And any requirements out of the saving message of Jesus is a false gospel. If anyone is telling you, anyone, myself included, if anyone tells you that in order to know who Jesus Christ is and to have a relationship with the Father and have salvation, if anyone tells you that for that to take place, it requires anything other than faith in Jesus Christ, they're preaching you a false gospel. A false gospel. And that's the entire reason that Paul is writing this. So how does this apply to us today? You know, we just went through the entirety of chapter two. So next week we start chapter three. We're moving along. Here's what we should take away from this. Number one, unity in Christ is the priority. The gospel message of Jesus is what matters most. The unity of the message in Christ is our priority. We need to reconcile over disagreements with other believers. If you have a friend or a family member or someone you know who goes to a different church and you guys have disagreements over different theological concepts, you need to reconcile with them that that thing does not matter unless it is the message of Jesus Christ. That's where I draw the line in the sand. Okay? So if you believe something differently about, about you know, whether you should have tattoos or not, or, or the place of alcohol in a, in a Christian's life, or, or um, you know, whether predestination or free will, or a variety of other topics, if we have disagreements on those things based on what our interpretation of God's Word says, I'm okay with that, because Paul also says in a later chapter, or in a later letter, he says, over disputable matters, we need to be the bigger person. We need to say, you know what, Christ's love covers all these things. But the things that we do not divide on is the message and unity in Jesus Christ. And I think that if the church of Jesus around the world, if the body of Christ from the north to the south to the east to the west in our country and in other nations, if we could stand as one church in our belief of who Jesus is, I believe that people would stop looking at the Christian church as hypocrites. They would stop looking at us as judgmental people because we would be united in our love of Christ. And that would then flow out into our communities. That is what I dream of. We need to have unified unity in Christ is our priority. The second thing we need to take away from this is that we must fight hypocrisy within ourselves. And I am just as guilty and I struggle with this just as much as any of you. We have got to fight the hypocrisy in our own lives and our actions and in our heart. And when we don't, we perpetuate the false image of the gospel to the world. This is kind of what I just hit on a second ago. When we refuse to act the way that a Christian should act in public, people look at us and go, you know what? They think like Gandhi does. They said what Gandhi said, which was, I like your Jesus, but I don't like Christians. He said that because he was seeing people who believed in the message of Jesus and grace and in health and in mercy and in love and forgiveness and was seeing people murder each other and violently hate each other and, and stealing from each other and they were not giving grace and mercy to each other. And I see the same things happening all around our nation. I see, I see communities of churches rising up and judging people and there's a difference between truth and judgment. What we're saying is, is we should stand up in our communities and love people and serve people and tell them they're welcome in our, in our doors. And when there's another church who believes a little bit differently than them, we shouldn't be back-talking against them. We shouldn't be bashing them. 
That's why you'll never hear me bash the Catholic Church in this place. Because even though some of them may have different opinions or they don't believe the same things that I do, I believe that they believe in Jesus Christ, that they are Christians and they're a part of this family. And we have got to stand up as a church and become the people who Jesus made us to be and stop being, for the lack of a better word, hypocrites. We've got to act like Jesus acted. We've got to stop acting like the world and start acting like Jesus acted. We must line up our beliefs and our behaviors. And the third thing is, is that we must pursue boldness in our faith. It's enough one thing to say we've got to fight hypocrisy. And we fight that battle every day, right? If you're hanging out with friends, you know, if maybe, so let's take an example. Maybe you believe that maybe you believe that drinking is not something a Christian should do. So if that's your belief, but then you hang out with friends, you know, and then you go out to happy hour and then you find yourself getting a drink because you're worried about the peer pressure, that would be a hypocritical action because your beliefs and your actions are not lining up. Now, I'm not saying you should or shouldn't believe that way. It was just an example. And I believe that we do it all the time. You know, if I shouldn't say these words or talk in a certain way, but then when I get around my friends, it just kind of happens because I feel like they're going to think I'm a prude or whatever, right? That's, that's what I'm talking about here. We've got to, to start to line up our actions with our, with our beliefs. But the third thing is we must pursue boldness in our faith. And when we do, when we pursue boldness, God, give us boldness for your faith. Help me to, to, to live a life like Paul did or like Peter did. And, and even if it's not going to another nation, Maybe it's just how can I be a light? Like the Bible calls the Christians a city on a hill, right? Like it's a beacon. It's like a lighthouse. That's what we're supposed to be. Pray for that. And when we do, the Holy Spirit will work miracles in the lives around us. When we, when we begin to share about who Jesus is, the hope of Jesus, not the rules, not the regulations, none of that stuff. When we share with people who are down and out and they're hurting, when we allow space in our life for people to share what's happening and we say, you know what, listen, I know that you're struggling. I was in a place like that. Do you know what got me out? I found Jesus. I found a man, the God, who gave me new life. And that probably sounds weird to you because you probably never heard of this guy. But let me tell you what he's done in my life. If you find a normal way to say that to someone, they are going to find healing in their life because that's what God does. The Holy Spirit will use your efforts, your honesty, your boldness, and he'll begin to transform lives around you. When we pursue boldness in our faith, the Holy Spirit will work miracles in the lives around us, and you'll begin to see people flocking to you. I told the story before when I worked down at at Citizens Bank. I asked people just one day, I just said, for one day, I'm going to ask people if I can pray for them. And I just started doing that. You know what was happening by the end of the day? People I didn't even know were walking over to my desk. Because a friend, someone I did know, went back to their desk and said, oh, that Jared guy over there, he, I work for him. Yeah, he just prayed for me. I feel so much better. And then they're like, really? And then they came over, and I'm hearing about cancer and their families, and I'm hearing about you know, cars being stolen, and I'm hearing about kids who ran away from home, and I don't know, I'm hearing all this stuff. By the end of the day, I had a list of things that, just, that were just like breaking my heart, but I wouldn't have known any of them if I didn't take that opportunity. And on top of it, I began to see answers to prayer. Later on that week or next couple of weeks, people were walking back up to me and they said, Jared, thank you so much for praying for me. My, I got a new car or, or, or the doctor had a great prognosis that came out after we prayed. Like, and I was like, that's awesome. That's the Holy Spirit beginning to work in your life when you have a boldness in your faith. So what steps should we take to respond? We're going to close with this. Identify yourself with the cross of Christ. I think that's the thing that really, that really 
is, the, I think, the, the cement for all of this. Identify yourself with the cross of Christ. We are, the thing that unites all of us is our faith in Jesus Christ. And the thing that Paul carried with him, the thing that Peter carried with him was, was the belief that the only thing that mattered was that Jesus Christ paid for our sins on the cross. And we have to get to a place where we identify more that I'm a believer in Jesus than I am by the brand of clothes that I wear, the car that I drive, the city that I live in, the neighborhood I live in, the kind of house that I'm in, even the family name that I come from, my heritage, the job that I have, what it says on my business card. We have to identify in the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ is what we have to begin with. And that's, that's the beginning of, of, of putting down our hypocrisy and becoming bold. The second thing is we need to leave behind your old ways. You have to put it behind you. You have to say, these things do not line up with God's word. And you're only going to know that if you're reading God's word, first of all. Okay, So you've got to get that Bible app. I'm going to tell you that every day. Get that Bible app or at least buy a Bible. Guys, we've got Bibles down here. Okay, If you don't have a Bible, get one for free right here. Okay? Read the Bible. Start in the book of Matthew and read the words of Jesus, and you will see as you begin to read it, the principles he's saying, you apply them to your life. My lifestyle does not match up with this. Things I'm doing in my life do not seem to fit with what God wants for me. Leave those things behind as you identify with the cross of Jesus Christ. And the last thing is give yourself wholly to Jesus because he gave himself for you. And that's the thing, right? That's what Paul said. He said, all of this is meaningless if I could do anything myself, but I couldn't, so God sent his son Jesus to give his life for us. He gave everything for us. He went to the cross and died a horribly gruesome death for us. And because he gave himself for us, we should now give our lives for him. We need to stop being fickle with our faith. We need to rise up. We need to we need to ask God, and I recognize, guys, that if this is not in you, if you're not necessarily a naturally bold person, this is probably difficult for you. But you know what? I'm not saying you got to be like me. I'm saying you need to be the boldest version of yourself. So if you're a writer, write boldly for Jesus. If you're a musician, play music or write music boldly for Jesus. If you're a mechanic, repair cars for Jesus boldly. You know, and as you pray, God... I'm just looking for opportunities. Help me to see opportunities to share. Watch what will happen to you. As soon as you're done praying, man, later on in that day, something's going to happen. Boop, someone walks up and you're going to hear, feel the Holy Spirit, just some prompting that's going to say, that person. You're going to be listening. Hey, how can I help you today? Oh, yeah, my car transmission's got a problem. And man, and then, and then the person's just going to start going, yeah, it's just been a really rough, really rough week. And da, da, da. Boop, opportunity. Like, that's how it works. That's how God does it, you know? Just... Let's just ask God to give us opportunities. I think that's the steps, you know, that's the steps for us. Is, and that's what Paul is trying to say. He says we need to be unified as believers. We need to stop acting like the old ways. We need to live in the new way, the freedom in Jesus Christ. And we need to give ourselves completely to who he is, live our lives. Because what did he say? He said, it's no longer I that live. It's Christ living in me. That's my challenge to you. Would you close your eyes with me today? That's my challenge for you today. Is it more of you living or is it more of Christ's principles living inside of you, his spirit living inside of you? What is God saying to you today? 
What is God saying to you today? Is he challenging you about things in your life that we would maybe consider hypocritical? I know that's a hard word. Get past the word and hear what God is saying to you. Is there something in your life that God has been saying, this thing does not line up? This area of your life, this behavior, this pattern you follow in your life as you go out into your normal daily life when you meet your friends or at work or in your family setting is different than the way that you believe in your heart or even in the way that you profess that you live when you're at church. Maybe God is calling you to a place of boldness. Maybe he's saying, son or daughter, stop being afraid. Stop being ashamed of me. You don't have to smack people in the face. You can just be a normal person and talk about me. You talk about your restaurants you go to. You talk about the movies you saw. You talk about the video games that you play. You talk about anything that's good in your life, but you won't tell people about me. The thing that matters the most, would you become bold? Maybe he's calling you to that today. Maybe he's talking to you about unity. Maybe he's saying that there's divisions in your life maybe even with friends or people you work with. You've had arguments or disagreements about church life or different things like that. And it's time. God is saying to you today, enough. I want unity with my family. You believe different things about anything other than the gospel message of Jesus. You can put it and move forward together. What is God saying to you today? And now what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? What's one step you could take? What's one thing that you could do right now? Like even today, what's one thing? Just listen to what God is saying to you. I believe he's speaking right now to you. What is he saying? What's something you could do about it? What's one action step you could take? One thing. Come on. Thanks for listening to this message from Encounter Church. If you call Encounter Home or if you would like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterPGH.com and click on the Support Encounter tab on the left side. This is a quick and simple way to stay up to date with your regular giving. We hope you join us next week.